You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Currently, around 2.65 million people, or 1 in 10 Australians, provide some form of informal care to a family member, loved one or friend. However, in many cases, these carers may also need financial support themselves as they frequently cut down their hours of work or cease work altogether to perform this important role. In this case, advisors can play a vital role in making clients aware of any available government support, including Centrelink payments. I'm your host, Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to talk to me today about Centrelink payment for carers is Kim Guest, one of my senior technical services managers. G'day, Kim. Hi, Craig. Now, Kim, I mentioned in the intro that one in 10 Australians are providing care for family members and friends, which is clearly 10% or a large proportion of the community. So, I guess that means advisors must be talking to clients who are carers quite frequently. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's a big proportion, isn't it? And we do get quite a few questions from advisors regarding um, payments for carers. Mm, so it, yeah, it is something that, you know, they're coming across quite often. Um, and it's interesting that clients are often unaware that they might be eligible for financial assistance because um, care is commonly provided as, you know, part of a family arrangement. Mm-hmm. And they might not even think of themselves as a carer or be aware that they could access payments. So as you mentioned, advisors have an important role in just letting them know that that assistance is available. And I guess with the ageing population, we're going to see more and more um, of people providing care to older relatives as well as friends and sometimes neighbours even. Um, So this is going to happen more and more. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the current stats are that 42% of people receiving carer payment are actually caring for someone who's over the age of 65. Um, And so you'd think that percentage is probably going to increase as those baby boomers get older. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about financial assistance for carers. So obviously, what payments are we talking about today? We're talking about three payments, uh, carer payment, carer allowance, and carer supplement. Okay. All right. Well, let's start at the beginning. Let's go uh, with carer payment. Okay, so carer payment is the main Centrelink income support payment for carers. It's called carer payment, but it's actually a pension. So it has the same rates of payment and the same income and assets tests as the age pension. So right. it's called carer pension. It would make more sense, but it's yeah. not. It's called carer payment. And it's designed to help people who are unable to support themselves through substantial paid employment due to the demands of their caring role. Um, And to be eligible for a carer payment, you have to be providing care to somebody um, who is an eligible care receiver in that person's home, and you must be providing constant care. Okay, so let's let's start to break that down. Um, Constant care, what's that defined as? Yeah, so a carer is said to be providing constant care if they personally provide care on a daily basis for a significant period each day. And this equates to a normal working day. So, um, you know, sort of the eight-hour kind of uh, working Mm -hmm. day period. And the care provided must be active, supervisory or monitoring. 
Okay, so the equivalent period for a normal working day, okay, but I assume that doesn't mean the care must be delivered between nine and five. No, that's right. It does take into account that carers could be absent for part of the day, but as long as the amount of care that the person requires and that they provide for the remainder of that day roughly equates to a normal working day, then they meet the requirement. So roughly, so we, we don't have to bundy on and bundy off here. No, I don't think there's any bundying or, or if anybody does bundying anymore, Craig. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I, it's seared into my soul as, right. uh, as a young university student. Um, now, well, talking about university student, what about if the carer works or studies? Can are they still considered to be providing constant care in that situation? Yeah, they can um, do some work or study, um, but it can't exceed 25 hours per week for them still to be considered to be providing that constant care. And that 25 hours includes the travelling time to the work or study. Okay, so they can be working or studying part-time and still meet the requirements. Um, now, a lot of situations, carers, it's a pretty full-on kind of job um, and they need a break or a holiday, commonly referred to as respite. Do they still meet the constant care requirement if they go on a holiday? Yeah, they can take up to 63 days in a calendar year off and remain eligible. Okay, now that's good because, you know, obviously in many situations providing constant care is going to be a really demanding role. So the ability to take time off or, or get some respite is, is, is really important. Now let's now talk about person receiving care. Now you called the person a care receiver, which definitely sounds like a social security term. How does Centrelink determine that a person is an eligible care receiver? Yes, so Centrelink define a care receiver as a person that receives care due to their disabilities and or medical conditions. Um, and the qualification criteria is actually quite complex and it differs depending on whether that care receiver is an adult or a child. All right, so what, what's the deal with adults? Okay, so for an adult, they must require a certain level of care as determined by the Adult Disability Assessment Tool or ADAT for short. So hang on, before you go, so who's an adult? Are we talking over 18? Over 16. Over 16, okay. Yeah, yeah. age cool. 16 and over, sorry, yep. Um, so you're an adult for this purpose. For this purpose but, you are, yes. But you, but you can't have a beer. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, they have to be assessed as requiring a certain level of care as determined by the ADAT um, mm -hmm. and the care has to be required for a minimum period of six months um, unless the condition is terminal and they have to either receive a social security pension or benefit or alternatively, if they don't, they have to meet the care receiver income and assets tests. Okay, so you, you mentioned this thing called uh, an adult disability assessment tool, IADAT, um, and that they've got to receive a certain level of care. I mean, what's AID, what is the ADAT? I mean, obviously it's an assessment tool, but what actually does it come in the, like, what is it? <laughs> it's um, two questionnaires that yeah, right. need to be completed. So the carer who is applying for carer payment needs to complete one and a treating health professional needs to complete the other one. And what they do is they score those questionnaires um, and that score measures the amount of help that the care receiver needs to undertake basic activities of daily living such as mobility, communication, hygiene, 
eating and management in a range of cognitive and behavioural areas. Mm, wow. So you mentioned um, a treating health professional. I assume that's their local GP, is it? Yeah, often it is. A treating health professional is someone who's involved in their care and is generally their doctor or other qualified medical practitioner. But it also includes a registered nurse, a physiotherapist, an occupational therapist, a member of ACAT, the Aged Care Assessment Team, or in geographically remote areas, it could be an Aboriginal health worker. Right. So a physiotherapist could be the, um, what do we call it, the, the treating health professional in this situation yes. to help, yeah. help with the completion of the ADAT. Okay, well, yeah, fair enough. Now, you mentioned that the answers to the question is a scored. So how does that work? Do, who does it? Uh, well, Centrelink um, do the scoring, but the scores right. from the carer questionnaire are added to those from the treating health professional questionnaire, and that gives them a total ADAT score. And to qualify for carer payment, um, if you're applying for a, uh, the care receiver is an adult and they don't have a qualifying dependent child, then that adult has to get an ADAT score of at least 25, and at least 10 of that score has to come from the treating professional health sorry, the Treating Health Professionals yeah. um, questionnaire. And those people are known as higher adult score adults. Right. But then if you're the adult that you're caring for themselves has a qualifying dependent child, then um, they only have to be a lower adult score um, person to qualify. And that means that they need at least 20 as their ADAT score and eight has to come from the Treating Health Professional questionnaire. All right. So I guess the way the carer and the treating health professional tick the boxes in the questionnaire is going to be really, really important. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there's just one more thing I should mention that if the care receiver actually has a terminal illness and they're not expected to live more than three months, then you don't need to go through this ADAP process. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Now, you mentioned that when you're going through the eligibility criteria, that the care receiver needs to be getting a social security payment or meet the care receiver income and assets test. So could you go through that one for us, please? Yeah, so the care receiver needs to be receiving a pension or benefit from Centrelink or the Department of Veteran Affairs or they're not receiving one, but they would um, if they applied. And the only reason they're not getting one is because they don't meet the residency requirements. Now, so if they're in that bucket, that's fine. Um, they meet the, the that test. But for those people who aren't getting a Centrelink or a DVA payment because, you know, maybe they've got too much money or they don't meet the requirements for some other reason, then mm -hmm. they actually have to receive, have to qualify under the care receiver income and assets tests. Right. Uh another Centrelink income and assets test. So how does this one work? Yeah, well, this one's actually pretty complex, which is not surprising, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and it can include the income and assets of um, some of the care receivers' family members, including their partner and children. And basically what they do is they look at their taxable income and that taxable income needs to be below 127,962. Mm -hmm. And they also look at the combined accessible assets and that needs to be below 789,500. But as I said, these tests are quite complex and Centrelink actually has some discretion to pass someone even if their income or assets are over the thresholds in some cases. So, you know, uh, it's not just simply look at the number and um, and sort of go from there, it's, it's, it is worth looking into because you might find, you know, people with income or assets above those thresholds could still qualify. 
Okay, sounds like a complex area, but I guess it's pretty straightforward if the person is receiving a Centlink or DVA payment, then they, they just qualify and they don't have to worry about those additional tests? Yeah, that's right. So, okay, moving on to kids now. You mentioned that someone can get care payment if they care for a child. Now, how do they determine that the child is an eligible care receiver? Yeah, so again, the qualification criteria is quite complicated. Um, they measure the care needs of the child using a different tool called the Disability Care Load Assessment, um, or DCLA. And again, this contains two questionnaires, one that needs to be completed by the carer and the other a treating health professional. Um, but we probably can't go through that qualification criteria in too much detail today, um, but it is good to be aware you know, that, that people can receive care payment if they are looking after um, a child that has high care needs. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so good to know that parents may be able to qualify for care payment if they're providing care for a child that has high care needs um, due to disability or medical condition. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so they should contact their Centrelink uh, office or call centre um, if they think that they might be eligible. In fact, I did want to mention that carers can actually test their eligibility for carer payment before they actually even apply for the payment. And they can do that by submitting an unsigned claim form. Mm -hmm. And this can actually be really helpful if, you know, they're thinking about reducing their work hours or ceasing work, um, but they want to know before they do that whether they're actually going to be eligible for carer payment. They can actually test their eligibility by, you know, putting in an unsigned claim form and saying, you know, based on this criteria, would I be eligible? Wow, that's really good to know. So Centrelink will actually tell them whether they would be eligible if they applied and obviously before they, you know, cut down their hours of work or cease working by resigning or something along those lines. Yeah, that's right. They can tell them things like whether the care receiver meets the criteria and whether the carer and the care receiver meet the income and asset tests. Okay, fantastic. Now, moving on to carer allowance, can you tell us a bit more about that one? Yeah, sure. So, carer allowance is not an income support payment like carer payment. Rather, it's a small supplementary payment of $144.80 a fortnight that can be paid in addition to an income support payment or even to a carer who doesn't receive any types of income support payment. Okay, right. So, that's fairly unusual. Can you normally receive more than one significant payment at a time? No, that's right. Normally, you can't receive more than one Centrelink payment, but care allowance, because it's not an income support payment, it's a, it's a small allowance, it's kind of come under different rules. And so, you are allowed to receive care allowance as well as other income support payments like care payment or age pension, for example. Okay, true. Now, sorry about my phone just going off there. Now, is that income and assets tested, that, that care allowance? Care allowance. No, it's not asset tested, but it does have an income test. Okay, and does it have the same requirement for the care receiver? I, do they have to have the same, what was it, ADAT? Love an ADAT. Do they have to have the same ADAT score? No, that would be too easy if they made everything the same. It has to be a little bit different. So, mm -hmm. yes, if they're caring for an adult and um, and they need to have an ADAT score, they can use an ADAT score for both the carer payment and the care allowance um, criteria, but care allowance actually has a different ADAT score than carer payment. So it's the one lot of questionnaires that the carer and the treating health professional fill out, um, but they have to reach a different score for carer payment or for carer allowance. Right. I thought that would be too easy. So what is the ADAT score requirement for a carer allowance? 
So if you're caring for an adult, um, they need to have a total ADAT score of 30 and a treating health professional score of at least 12. Right. Okay. So if they're caring for a child with a disability or medical condition, they can also be eligible for care allowance? Yes. The child needs to have a recognised disability or they need to have been assessed under that disability care load assessment that we mentioned earlier, and they have to have a score of at least 85 with um, a score greater than zero from the treating health professional. Okay, and is the level of care that needs to be provided uh, the same as care payment? I constant care was was that what we talked about? Yeah, constant care. Uh, no, actually, care allowance has a lower requirement. Um, it's the care that they need to provide is care and attention rather than constant care, and that care and attention has to be provided on a daily basis in the person's home. And what care and attention refers to is the requirement that the carer provides at least some additional care and attention to a person because of a disability or severe medical condition that would not be required if they did not have a disability. Okay, so that doesn't sound as stringent as constant care for the carer payment. And does the carer and the care receiver have to live together? Doesn't sound like it. No, they, they don't have to, but if they don't live together, Centrelink have a bit of a closer look um, and, and a, have a little bit of a more stringent level of care that needs provided. So right. in that case, they have to um, provide care and attention on a daily basis for at least 20 hours per week. And in addition, that care and attention has to specifically address the care needs that have been identified in the ADAT tool i.e. assistance with bodily functions and or to sustain life. So if they don't live together, they, they the, high, the standard is a little bit higher. Okay. Right. So the ADAT assessment, again, clearly becomes important. And you mentioned that the care allowance has an income test. So how does that work? Yes, it's got a bit of an unusual income test. Um, basically, what they do is they look at the carer and the partner's adjusted taxable income, and that has to be under 250000 a year. And the reason I say it's unusual is because the income test doesn't actually affect the rate of payment. Um, if you're under 250000 you just get the full care allowance, which is that $144.80. So, it's just a if you're $1 over, you get nothing, but if you're underneath, you get the full payment. Right. It's, a, it's a cliff drop-off kind of thing. That's right. Um, so, and it's based on, I think, adjusted taxable income. Anything else included in the income test? Yes, they also include deemed income from any account-based pensions that you have if you are age 60 or over. And that might sound familiar because it's very similar to the way they do the income test for the Commonwealth Seniors Healthcare Card. Yeah, that does sound familiar. And are there any exemptions from the income test? Good question. Yes, there is an important exemption, and that is that if the person is receiving an income support payment from Centrelink or DBA, or they're receiving family tax benefit and fortnightly payments, or the Commonwealth Seniors Healthcare Card, then they don't actually need to meet the income test. Okay, so that's interesting. I, I guess it's because their income must be below that two fifty thousand threshold anyway to receive both those benefits. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it is and it isn't. It, it's an adjusted taxable income test, whereas Centrelink payments have a you know diff, different definition of income. But generally speaking, you would think that somebody who is getting a Centrelink payment um, or family tax benefit or Commonwealth Senior Healthcare Card has income probably below that kind of threshold in most cases. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the final payment that we're talking about uh, being care a supplement. 
Yeah, well, this is a quick and easy one to talk about. Um, <laughs> carer supplement is an annual payment of $600 and it's paid to carers who receive a qualifying payment for a period that includes the 1st of July. So it's actually paid in addition to other qualifying payments and they can receive more than one carer supplement um, if they receive more than one qualifying payment. Well, that sounds pretty straightforward. So I guess it's important that they get their claim in before 1 July for the qualifying payment if they want to be eligible. Now, what are the qualifying payments? Yeah, so the qualifying payments from Centrelink are the two payments that we just discussed. So carer allowance or carer payment. Um, you get a $600 carer supplement in respect of each of those payments if you're getting both of them. Um, and there's also some payments from DVA, such as the DVA carer service pension that also qualify for that carer supplement. And you got any tips that we should know about in relation to this payment? Yeah, there is actually. Um, and this is one we come across quite often. So when you've got somebody who's receiving carer payment and they um, are approaching age pension age, they're going to be asked by Centrelink if they want to transfer from carer payment to the age pension. And they should think really carefully about that decision because if they do move to age pension, that means they're no longer receiving mm. qualifying payment for the carer supplement. So they're going to miss out on that $600 per year in respect of that payment. Of course, they need to think about whole situation and there's pluses and minuses of being on carer payment or age pension, but the carer supplement is definitely a key consideration when they're making that decision. Okay, so covered off from those three payments, so I guess that's it unless there's anything else? Yeah, that's it. I, I just did want to mention that we have an article on this, of course, Centrelink Payments for Carers, which is available on the First Tech site, um, and that goes through those three carer payments that we've discussed today. Yeah, obviously, I think quite important. We've gone through a lot of detail today, but I think the main thing here for advisors to take away is, you know, that one in 10, 10% of the population out there are caring for people. Um, and some of your clients may be in this situation and not even know that they may be eligible for one of these payments. Um, so if you're able to spot that and think about a client and uh, and you want to know more and how that may be assessed, we do have an article, as Kim mentioned. So give us a call or go onto our website and have a look at that. And uh, and hopefully you can you can assist your client get some government support they may not have thought they may have been eligible for. Okay, thanks, Kim. Thanks, Craig. And thanks everyone for listening. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventius Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information. 